Anybody need some popcorn? Just a little something to get your, uh, your heart racing uh, this morning. Is anybody, any Star Wars fans out there at all? Just a few of you? Okay, good. Last night was like one Star Wars fan. I'm like, wow, I got to rewrite my whole sermon here. But uh, you may not know this, but the, a new Star Wars film is coming out called Rogue One. And the, the, the heroine of this movie, whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, it's kind of hard to miss on the movie poster there. Who, besides Darth Vader, he's creeping there in the background. Uh, who, who is the main character? Who's like the prominent person on that poster that's the star of the show? A young, unassuming girl from the middle of nowhere. Okay, you're not getting it. Let me repeat myself. The star of the entire thing, the heroine, the one who is going to be used in amazing ways to save the planet, to save the galaxies, is a young, unassuming, ordinary girl from the middle of nowhere. You're not getting it. We're going to have to preach. We're going to have to preach a little bit today, okay? So this past week, I was hanging out on the Star Wars website, okay? Checking out the Rogue One trailer, watching some trailers, and just hanging out on StarWars.com because... That's what I do. So uh, for deep, deep study. And so there I am. And I kid you not, word for word, this is the quote that is underneath the movie poster that summarizes this episode of Star Wars. So just check this out. This episode brings together ordinary people who choose to do extraordinary things and in doing so become part of something greater than themselves. Does that remind you of any other story? Maybe just a little bit, right? Star Wars owes God some royalties, don't you think, right? Every story story borrows its plot from the larger story. That is straight out of the Christmas story, and especially with the heroine of our story today. Never doubt what God can do through those who are young and available. Never underestimate the power of youth, whether that's in a children's Christmas program or whether that's in Star Wars or whether that's in God's story. It's a story of God divinely interrupting human history. Just by a show of hands, how many of you love to get interrupted? Anybody? Okay, that's what I thought. Nobody likes to get interrupted, and yet it's kind of a part of our lives. Life is about being interrupted. It's a part of our story, especially uh, young parents. I'm guessing there's a few young parents out there with our program uh, today. Young parents, you know exactly what it's like to be interrupted as your kids get a little bit older. It's that constant voice you hear in the back of your head, whether it's like real or not. It's like in your head engraved, mom, 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 mommy, mom, dad, 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 mommy, mommy. Like you just hear that over and over again. We have some experience uh, with this. A couple weeks ago, uh, Tiffany was not it was out of town, and I was in the kitchen trying to get um, kitchen uh, getting uh, lunch ready for the kids, and they were playing in the living room, and I'm in the kitchen, so I'm watching the kids. And so there, there I am doing my thing, and all of a sudden, Caleb, our three-year-old that you saw up here uh, a little bit ago, uh, comes running into me and starts pulling up my pant leg as kids often do, and, and says, "Daddy, Daddy, I gotta show you something. I gotta show you something. It's not I gotta show you something. It's I show you something." 
Daddy, I got to show you something. And usually that means, uh, you know, he's going to run his truck up the side of the wall or his underwear's on his head or something like that that can wait. And so I'm like, buddy, just hang on. I'm making lunch. You got to eat. Just hang on a second and go play for a little bit. So he runs away for a couple minutes. And then he comes back again a second time. I love his persistence. He says, Daddy, no, no, no. This is really important. I really got to show you something. I got to show you something. Now he's latched himself onto my leg. Parents, you know about this. And then you just have this brace on your leg. You're walking around with this 40-pound Kid, Daddy, I got to show you something. It's really important. You got to come right now. I got to show you something. Caleb, not now. It can wait, okay? Just go watch your sister, you know, watch your sister, uh, who's one, and, and, and go play with her for a little bit. A couple minutes later, he comes back again. Daddy, I really need you. I got to show you something. It's really important. I got to show you something. I'm like, okay, fine, great. So you're going to, you know, do your choo-choo train or whatever. That's great. And I come, and I walk around the corner into the living room, and there is our one-year-old, Evie. Tiffany had left uh, hot chocolate from Starbucks on the end table that is now cold, and I look at my daughter, and she has taken that hot chocolate from Starbucks and dumped it. Her whole face is brown, and it's going down her pajama onesies all the way down her body onto our beautiful white and blue rug and down the side of the couch. I'm like, oh, no. And I turn over and look at my son, who's just smiling at me with that grin, and goes, see, Daddy? (laughs) Caleb won. Daddy, zero. Interruptions can be good sometimes, although we perceive them as negative in our lives. Some interruptions are not only helpful, but they are crucial. They are very, very important to our story. Although we view most of them as negative, as you like, look across human history and, and the story of human history is, is a, a timeline. Sorry, I'll do it this color. Is a timeline moving from here to hear, there are certain events, there are certain interruptions in human history that have made us who we are. You think about natural disasters or diseases or world wars or even good things, you know, speeches or uh, elections or, or revolutions or different things that have changed the course of human history forever. We would not be the same without those defining marks along the storyline of human history. And not just history, but your story as well. There are certain things that have happened to you that you will never forget. Interruptions in your life as you were going along with life as you thought you knew it, and now because of those interruptions, you are a different person. Positive or negative, interruptions are a part of life. Maybe for you as growing up and that first crush you had in school or your first best friend or for some of you you can remember you know one of those moments is your your first car accident or maybe when you met that person that you were going to marry for the very first time and maybe it was love at first sight and maybe it wasn't. For some of you that moment when you found out that you were going to have your first child and then the moment when you're holding them for the first time. But life has a way of throwing us curveballs as interruptions as well, maybe when you get that diagnosis that you didn't want to get, or somebody close to you dies, or you lose your job, or you finally get that job you know that you were created for. When it comes to faith, a lot of you can mark that as a defining moment of your story. And we talk about this in Alpha. For some of you, coming to faith and that interruption when God broke into your life was more of a microwave moment. And it was like, boom, the light bulb came on and you came to faith and everything was different. For some of you, coming to faith has been more like a crockpot experience, kind of a slow simmer, right? There's not that moment, but you know uh, that you've been following God for a long time. Time Positively or negatively, these interruptions do not leave us the same. They make us who we are. And for those of you that have taken the core class here uh, at Hope Des Moines, you know that there is a biblical definition for these types 
of moments. As we look at Jesus' words in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus arrives on the scene and he talks about this. Uh, and we know that time, when Jesus talks about time, sometimes he means it one way, sometimes he means it another way. There's not an English word that translates for the different types of time that exist in the Greek language. When Jesus talks about time, sometimes he talks about it in terms of chronos, which is where we get the word chronological. Everybody say chronos. Chronos. And we move from left to right. You are born and someday you will die. Life we think about in chronological terms. But Jesus breaks on the scene here in Mark chapter 1 with an interruption himself. And he says this, and let's read it nice and loud together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is not chronos that Jesus is using here. It's a different word for time. It's called kairos. Everybody say kairos. A kairos moment. Kairos is a better, that time is defined more as the appointed time or the right or opportune time. In other words, a divine interruption. When God literally breaks into your story and there is an undistinguishable, there is a moment that you cannot deny that God showed up and you were not the same. Meaning there are interruptions in our lives, including the one that Jesus is describing here, that are divinely orchestrated by God to change us forever. The Star Wars trailer that you saw spoke of this. Did anybody catch? It was a very short trailer. There was two words in the entire trailer. Did anybody catch what they were? It said, hope begins. Star Wars knows something about Kairos moments as well. That this young girl, this young heroine and her band of rebels is there to push back the darkness of the empire. At this moment in history, they have been chosen to steal the plans for the Death Star to save the planet. Again, every star story borrows its plot from the larger story. And nobody knows that better than the heroine of our story today. So imagine this. You're the God of the universe, and you are planning this divine interruption into human history where you are going to break in and save a sinful and broken, messy world. And for 400 years, this snapshot of human history from here to here, before we get to the Christmas story, for 400 years, God has been seemingly silent. So you think God's had a lot of time on his hands. He can watch all the college bowl games. Uh, he, he's got a lot of time this time of year. And now he's planning to break into human history. And so he's God. He could do it any way he wants. He could come with a giant blizzard. He could come with a blimp. He could, he could summon all of heaven, the angel armies, and come and invade Rome and save the world. And so he's got this plan, and one day, the angels hear that God's going to share his plan. So God kind of brings all the angels around, and the guys, huddle, huddle up, because they have huddles in heaven. So he brings all the, the angels around, and they go, okay, guys, here's, here's the master plan of how God is going to save the planet. And he goes, okay, here it goes. You ready for the master plan? Okay, it goes something like this, okay? God says, here's what I'm going to do. I myself am going to become an infant, and be born helpless and weak and completely dependent on like a 15-year-old girl. What do you guys think? Exactly, crickets in the throne room of heaven. Like, that's it? Seriously, God, that's the best you can come up with? And we're looking at the story now in hindsight, but they weren't at that moment, so you can imagine, but for us, we know to never limit God, or as the angel later says in our story today, nothing is impossible 
with God. And that is the moment where we pick up the story where God divinely interrupts human history in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start a little before the reading. So if you have your Bibles, open up to verse 26. So big number, chapter 1 of Luke, little number 26, if you're new to the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember Elizabeth from last week, it's Mary's cousin, the mother of John the Baptist. So God sent the angel Gabriel, who we heard from last week, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So the first thing you got to know about Mary, for all you movie buffs out there, there is something about Mary. There's a few things. There's a few somethings about Mary. And the first thing is this. She could not be more ordinary. We find out that she is from the town of Nazareth. Everybody say Nazareth. Nazareth is about as obscure as a town in those days, it's not anymore, but in those days as it comes. Growing up, I grew up in a town called Story City, which I'm guessing a lot of you have heard of because you are from Iowa, and well, everybody knows Story City is really the center of the universe. So, um, but believe it or not, as small as Story City is, about 3,000 people, there are some towns in kind of north central Iowa and around Story City that are even smaller than that. I mean, I'm talking about obscure little towns where if you blink, you're going to miss it. And where the main attraction uh, in town is like a pot machine on Main Street. I mean, like, that's it. That's what you're looking at. They, there are towns that are small enough that don't even have Casey's in them. You know? And, like, that's Nazareth. They didn't even have a Casey's to get a slice of pizza. So this is small town Mary. And so here she is. Nothing significant ever happens in Nazareth. Second thing we know about Mary is that she's not only a woman, which in those days was so far down in the rungs of society, she is a young woman, so don't speak unless be spoken to. She's down there with the slaves and the servants on the ladder of society. So she's, scholars say, 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. She's just a kid, like junior high, like freshman in high school. And so in the galactic scope of what God is doing, this is the most unlikely person from the most unlikely places and the most unlikely circumstances to be used by God. And I would imagine that for Mary, she's looking at the timeline of her life like long before the angel ever shows up. And she's looking at the rest of her life and the rest of what her story is going to be, I'm engaged to Joseph now, I got some security, I'm going to work in the fields and maybe make some candles for the rest of my life and, and maybe, maybe provide Joseph with a couple kids, but my life is going to be set. It's going to be ordinary. And sometimes we think the same thing. The danger is that you and I start to get this thought going through our head that whatever your circumstances are right now, that well, this is life. Life is ordinary. Life is about surviving another week of work. If you have young kids, it's about just, oh, just get us through this stage of life, and then things will get better. Get the kids under control. For those in the church, we get into this thinking of like, oh, man, just try to be a better Christian. I'll try harder, God, for you this week, as if that's why Jesus died, so that we could try harder or not. What if God is saying to you today, if I can show up in Nazareth, to a quiet, unassuming teenage girl in the middle of nowhere, what area of your life is too ordinary or insignificant or mundane that I can't bust into and change everything? Have you been, I think one of the greatest dangers in the church is, yes, it's sin and it's immorality and it's addiction and we see all those things, but nobody ever talks about one of the greatest dangers, which is limiting God 
which is saying, well, God, this is kind of my current experience with you, which I'm sure Mary had. She's a follower of Yahweh, but nothing like was about to happen. Are you open to that? If God wanted to break into your life with an interruption, are you open to that? Thank God Mary was, because we continue the story. Luke chapter 1, we pick it up in verse 31. The angel Gabriel comes to her and says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. So just put yourself in Mary's shoes here. You will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So talk about an interruption. Talk about a kairos moment. If I am Mary in this position, after I peel myself up off the ground and gather my wits about me, I think I'm saying something like, oh, Gabe, you got to be kidding me. This is so, you have the wrong person. This is not me. You came to the wrong town, to the wrong house. This is not, stuff like this doesn't happen to ordinary followers of God. Like us? Oh yeah, it does. Mary doesn't respond that way though. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Verse 38, may your words to me be fulfilled. The second thing we learn about Mary is something about Mary in this story is that she receives the interruption. She receives the interruption. And when interruptions come in our lives, there's a lot of different ways we can respond. For some of you, when you come to that moment or when God gets your attention or speaks to you about something, some of us like to ignore it. Some of us like to run away from it because I don't really want to change, if we're honest. Or we can embrace it and let God change us and realize God's up to something here. Some of us respond to interruptions well. Some of us don't. One of the person, people that we know didn't respond to interruptions so well, his name is Walter Hobbs. And you wouldn't respond to an interruption either if you discovered that your son was an elf and grew up in the North Pole. So here's Walter. How many of you elf is on your winter watch list, your Christmas watch list? Okay, so you, you know the story a little bit. So Walter's going along with his normal life, and all of a sudden he receives the interruption that he never thought he would get. And let's watch how he handles Buddy breaking in to his story. Let's take a look. Needless to say, Walter, the dad, did not handle the interruption very well, although we know that later on in the story, he does, and he receives it, and Buddy ends up changing his life. But I wonder, how do you handle the interruptions in your life? I'm not just talking about like little kids nagging on your pants or like the big, huge, life-changing Kairos moments, but the ways that God tries to get your attention in the, every day and every week as God is speaking to you. I, I don't know about you, but maybe you've had one of these moments, just throw a couple, I don't know, random ideas out there. Maybe you're sitting at like a kid's Christmas program at church or something. I don't know, just or at school or preschool or whatever, and you're watching your kid at their band concert or their choir concert or wherever they're at, and you just get overcome by emotion. Like, I don't get overcome by emotion at these types of things very often. It's like God whispers to you, slow down. Mom, Dad, you really got to slow down or you're going to miss it. And some of you are sitting there going, I kind of feel like I have because we're done with those concerts now. Because I thought everything else was so important and you, you missed it and you, you hear that whisper from God, what do you do with that? Maybe for some of you, uh, that, that moment happened 
one of these past couple weeks and you were out shopping for these kids and you're like, okay, these kids, they come from really difficult homes. What a great mission project. I'm going to head out there to Target or Walmart. I'm going to go get, uh, get something at Toys R Us here and I've got my list and it's uh, eight-year-old boy, family 17, and I'm going to head out and do my, my goodwill mission project for the year so I can check that Christmas project off my list. And I'm out and you're buying for me like, boy, age eight. And the... Oh, wait a minute. It's not a project. God says to you out of the blue, it's a kid with a story, with a heart, with a family. More importantly, God says, boy age eight, random boy on your mission project card is my kid, who I love unconditionally, and I want you to as well. I want your heart to break for the things that break mine. God says, I kind of want to interrupt your Christmas a little bit. They're people, not projects. And maybe that was you. And how do you respond to that? Do you allow God to speak to you in those moments? And even better yet, what do you do with it? Do you, do you apply it? Do you let your heart be changed? You see, it's in these interruptions, big or small, that I think we have a couple different options. We respond in one of two ways. We're going along with our lives, and then boom, God speaks, or that moment hits. And sometimes I think we say, God, you're in my way. <laughs> I've got a certain purpose and direction and agenda for my life and a way that I've done things and, and ways I fill my schedule and my priorities in life, and now you are interrupting that. And we end up seeing life as a series of obstacles to get through so we can get going with our agenda. And God says, no, that's not actually why I created you. Or we can say, instead of God, you're in my way, we can say, maybe I need a new way. God challenges your way. You see, for Mary, her life was going along just fine. It wasn't bad. There was nothing wrong or ungodly about Mary's life for the fact that it was simple, it was ordinary, it was predictable, and it was safe. And God says, that was never my number one desire for you, Mary. So I'm going to come and interrupt your life and shake things up a little bit. You think about Mary's story, just because God calls us to go his way doesn't mean it's the road that, that has the path of least resistance. It's harder sometimes. I mean, Mary, think about her story now before and now after this interruption from the angel. She is going to be a, let's say, a 14-year-old girl that is now pregnant, that's engaged, but she doesn't know how she got pregnant, and she's going to give birth to a son, and she's got to explain to Joseph now, like, what, Mary, how did this happen? Like, tell me the story. She's like, well, somebody named the Holy Spirit, the Holy something, and I, now I'm pregnant. I don't know what's going on with that, and, and I'm going to raise my, my, my boy, my little son that's going to grow up. His name's God, so if he misbehaves, like, what does that say about me? You know, like, I got a lot of pressure on my shoulders now. So life is not getting any easier for Mary. And we get that mixed up that the path of following Jesus is about if I can just find a nice, comfortable church and hear some heartwarming stories during the Christmas season and maybe serve and do a project that make myself feel good and then I can get on with my Christian life. God comes to us and says, I've got way more for you than that. And this Christmas season, I'm not primarily interested in your comfort. I'm interested in you discovering why I put you on this planet. What your purpose is beyond working nine to five and having a paycheck. Why are you here? Why were you created? And Mary discovers that. You could almost say that in that moment when the angel shows up, God came along and kind of ruined Mary's life for the better. <laughs> he ruined it for the better. And I was thinking about that this past week. It sounds crazy, but it got me thinking about my first few years of 
marriage. And don't get me wrong, it was great, it was wonderful, but guys, you know this when you get married, we marry up uh, usually, and yet in those first few years of marriage, after we get married, we still, even though we're here in our lives, we still think we can live like we're here, like before that life-changing moment happened. And we think we can just keep going on with the same habits and routines and priorities that we used to. And I remember this Kairos moment. I stood up after dinner one night, and it was just the two of us. This was before kids. And I stood up, and I looked Tiffany in the eyes, and I said, Honey, it's been two years. Two years of you keeping me accountable to exercise. (sighs) I can't believe it. Two years of you buying healthy food and groceries and cooking healthy meals so that we can be healthy together as a family. Oh, how could you? Two years of you encouraging me to pray out loud over our family and our day, even though sometimes it's uncomfortable and I don't want to. Oh. Two years of you encouraging me to build strong, healthy, guy-Christian friendships. <sighs> Forcing me to change. And I stood up and I looked her in the eyes and I said, Honey, you have ruined my life. For the better. For the better. Because I had assumed that the point of marriage was primarily to make me happy and for her to meet my needs. And I thought I was getting into it to have a partner that would agree with me all the time and never challenge me on anything. But then I realized, no, I totally married up because I married somebody that cares way more about who I'm becoming than my comfort. If you're looking for a spouse today... Find somebody that wants you to know Jesus more than anything else. All the other stuff will eventually fade away. Find somebody that wants the best for you more than your comfort level. And God is no different. God maybe doesn't necessarily want to ruin, but he wants to come and he wants to interrupt your life. How would you respond? Would you say, God, you're in my way? Or would you say, maybe I need a new way of thinking about my marriage. I need a new way of thinking about school. I need a new way of thinking about work. I need a new way of thinking about my finances. I need a new way of thinking about community. I need a new way of thinking about what it means to be the church. And God says, yes, yes, and amen, and I'm in all of that. If you give me access to all those areas of your life, if you're open to it. Now, speaking of these moments, a couple years ago, I had a lady from our congregation here come up to me and she said, Pastor John, I've been serving in our breakfast club community uh, the last couple years and I think this morning we served over 140 people from eight different shelters. Praise God for that. Amen? Like just amazing things. And she said, I've been serving for a couple years and I kind of had this moment, this divine interruption where this was my service project too. Reaching out to the homeless in our community, you know, and, and she said, John, now I realize It's just us. Because it used to be us and them. But God kind of broke my heart, and now he's just reminding me it's just us. Because she said, it's like we all have thems in our lives. You know, John, she said, we're a pretty diverse community here at Hope Des Moines in terms of our income and our housing and our race, and but just serving here for a while, we all have thems, like the people that look differently than you and live in different places and have different incomes than you and are from the city or the suburbs or from rural areas or have a different color skin than you do. And we all have a them 
And so often we say there's an us and there's a them. She said, after, after getting to know some of these people and their stories, I realize now there's just an us. Because in God's family, it's just us. Not us and them. And I was thinking about that this week with our soup supper we have coming up, you know, on the 23rd. And just permission to speak candidly with all of you, because uh, I don't other times. Uh, but I just want to be honest and challenge us a little bit and say, maybe it could just be us. Because when the family gets together for Christmas, the family gets together for Christmas. And maybe you have other plans, and that's totally fine, and there's no pressure. But if you don't, sometimes we think, oh, soup suppers. Those people eat, and people like us serve. What if we just all ate together and were us? That was my Kairos moment this week. Maybe we could all be family for Christmas and be us. Maybe that's it for you this morning. For some others, I talked to a guy a few months ago that's in one of our men's groups, and he said, John, I went to a wedding a couple weeks ago. And I go, oh, yeah, tell me about it. He's like, well, I went to a wedding, and you know, normally you go into weddings thinking they're going to be long and boring. And I'm like, yeah, was it? He said, well, it, it was long, but God totally just hijacked the whole thing for me. And here I am thinking it's about that couple, and then I forgot about this couple, like the lady sitting next to me that's my wife of 22 years that I'm not dating anymore. Because I believe the lie, especially in the church, that after we get married, then we should stop pursuing the heart of our spouse. Like it was your first date, and we get lazy, and we get comfortable, and we drift into being roommates instead of lovers, instead of married. And I was just like, God was just like, boom, in that moment. Wake up. Start living. Don't forget the most important person in your life. I, I don't know what it is for you, but are you open to God interrupting your life? Because he's going to change you. He's going to force you to change, and it's always for the better. And nobody knows that better than Mary. And so that's where we land at the end of this story. It's important to remember, just because we choose God's way, it's not the easy way. And when we don't understand, we can learn from Mary here. She goes back to the bigger story. She goes back to the bigger plan, to God's plan. We pick it up in verse 46. Mary's now sharing this with Elizabeth, and she's giving the Magnificat. She's giving her song. And so she says this, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Skip down to verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. There's no woe is me here anymore for Mary. There's no more God, you're in my way. What she does is she brings it back to the bigger story. The final thing, the something about Mary that you got to know this morning is that just like the heroine in the Star Wars film that some of you are going to see, she knows she's being swept up into a much bigger story out of her ordinary life, and that's how she keeps perspective. She takes off the blinders and the tunnel vision of thinking, woe is me, and why is this happening to me? And she goes, God, what is the story that you're trying to tell through my life? And she realizes, I'm a part of your master plan to save the planet, God. And so my soul rejoices, not because it's going to be easy for me, but because I know that you are on a mission, and that's where purpose is found, where your story connects with God's story. And then you discover why God put you on this planet. And that's what Mary discovers. She embraces the larger story. Is there a bigger mission to your life than surviving? Is there a bigger mission to your life than getting through the next week? God wants to 
interrupt your Christmas. <laughs> and I know it would be easy to think, oh, well, in that moment, like, this is easy for Mary. I mean, she's Mary. I mean, Catholics pray to her. She's a big deal. This is Mary. And yet we forget before this moment, she was just Mary. Insert your name here, just you. Just regular old you that God never shows up to. There's something about Mary and there's something about you. And God wants to break into your life. And sometimes I think we think like God could never do that for me, and we come with these doubts and fears and think Mary probably never had any doubts or fears either. And where I want to land today is just to share with you a quick story, maybe get a different perspective about what it would be like if Mary was just another young mom like is sitting next to you this morning, or that you might run into at the soup supper on the 23rd, or at breakfast club, or around town. What if Mary was just that quiet, ordinary young mom sitting next to you at worship this morning? What would it be like to have the Savior of the world growing inside of you? Let's take a look. As long as I can remember, we'd been waiting for the Messiah to come for us. My family, our tribe, our whole nation. I always knew that he'd come, but... Well, let's be honest, it's not like I'm from Jerusalem or someplace special. I'm just a girl from Nazareth. And everybody knows that not much good comes from Nazareth, never has. I thought for sure that Angel had come to the wrong house with his announcement. But if that's what God wanted, well, who was I to tell him he was wrong? Joseph, well, God bless that wonderful man. He could have joined in with everybody else. He could have had me sent away. He could have even had me killed. But he just never broke the promise to marry me. And so when he had to go to Bethlehem for the census, I was honored to ride by his side. Even with heartburn and bloated cankles, and nine months of pregnancy behind me. <laughs> you know those women who try different things to induce labor, like going on frequent walks or eating spicy foods? What they should do is go on a bumpy 70-mile trip to Bethlehem. Because not long after I got there, and I'd never done this myself, but even I know it was time. And with every wave of pain, I tried to ignore the fact that my family wouldn't be there to help me and that I'd be bringing this baby into the world without the familiarity of home. But when Jesus finally came, I forgot all of that though. I just wrapped him in cloths and tried to make the most comfortable bed I could for him with the only thing I had, which was an animal's feeding trough. Joseph said I should have been sleeping then, but I couldn't stop staring at him. 
the one the angel had told me about. My heart was so full, I couldn't even find words big enough to express it. I know I'm not the first young mother to bring a child into this world. It's always been that way. But as I look down at my son, my redeemer. I knew that he would change everything because he'd already changed me. I pray that this Christmas you would let this baby change you not just give you some warm fuzzies or some thoughts to think about, but change you for the better, that he would interrupt your week, that this would be the most non-traditional Christmas you've ever had because it was the Christmas when you let him all the way in and maybe not ruin things, but very much interrupt your Christmas for the sake of understanding what Christmas is all about. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that every story and every book and every song we sing points to the fact that God came for you, for you? May you receive that this morning not just as we watch cute kids up on stage, but as we realize we're all God's kids. And we have a Father that loves us more than anything. Let's stand and pray together.